You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior. Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. Thank you for joining me again today. And uh, slowly but surely, we are getting a little bit more hot stove action. Uh, along those lines, really good piece by Jeff Passon of Yahoo Sports uh, that came out yesterday, so that being Tuesday, uh, on uh, why things are moving slow, so slowly uh, this offseason. And uh, it's worth the time to read. Uh, it talks about changes in the players' union, changes uh, in you know, analytics and in how front offices operate. And it's, uh, it's a bit of a complex story, but it's, it's definitely worth your time to, to check out. But we do have some offseason player movement to talk about today. Uh, and also joining me today from Rotographs is Alex Chamberlain. And uh, Alex does fantastic work, and uh, you can check it out on Rotographs. He's also got a piece uh, uh, that's come out in uh, Lindy's Fantasy Magazine. Uh, but uh, going to talk to him about a couple of players that uh, he really likes for the coming season, or at least I think he does, based on some of the things he's been putting out on Twitter. So uh, we'll we'll get uh, get down to what he thinks about uh, those couple of players. I'll leave them as mystery players right now. But I also want to talk to Alex about something that I know he's got an interest in, and that is the behavioral side of being a fantasy owner, uh, checking in with our own biases. And he's got some thoughts about how uh, things that we know about the brain uh, findings from neuroscience, how they can actually help us become better fantasy owners. Going to be really, really cool stuff with Alex Chamberlain. So you definitely want to uh, stick around for that. But the big news since Monday's show actually just missed it, uh, ended taping the show right before this came out. So this isn't exactly news anymore, but we haven't talked about it here. Andrew McCutcheon going from the Pirates to the Giants for Kyle Crick and uh, minor league outfielder Brian Reynolds. And uh, Pirates and the Mets are really going to dominate this show because they've both been making some moves. Uh, Pirates also extended their closer, Felipe Rivero, uh, on a four-year, $22 million deal. That also includes two $10 million team options. Uh, We, like I said, uh, we have some Mets moves, really finalizing some things that we've already talked about in the show. The deal with Adrian Gonzalez finalized uh, today. That's Wednesday. Also, uh, the Jay Bruce three-year, $39 million deal. But the relevant piece of news in the last day or so, day or two maybe, from uh, Adrian Gonzalez in that signing is that he's going to, looks like, enter spring training at the top of the depth chart. He's going to get the first shot to be the regular first baseman. So definitely, to me, a, a surprise, a surprising move, and not a happy move for people who... Uh, are uh, bringing on uh, Dominic Smith onto their rosters this year. So, anyhow, that's just the top-level stuff. Some other things to get to, and I'll break those deals down a little bit more in detail. So, uh, stick with me here. Going to head to break right now, but we'll be back right on the other side.
Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. everybody this is fan rack fantasy baseball i'm your host al melchior and in the rundown of news items that uh, i gave you in the first segment there left out one thing because it just uh came across my twitter feed uh right right before we went on air uh so it didn't have in my notes but it's it's kind of a notable one the red sox have made an offer to jd martinez uh it's five years 100 million dollars that is quite a bit lower, I think, than what uh, J.D. Martinez is looking for, uh, probably by roughly half in terms of the, the, total, uh, the total salary and uh, probably off by a couple of years in terms of length. So eh, not looking like a signing is going to be happening there soon. But, uh, you know, then again, we had reports within the last week or so that uh, J.D. Martinez may hold out well into spring training. So uh, with uh, if those are the types of offers he's getting, that would be hardly surprising. Uh, but getting back to some of the uh, other items, uh, mentioned the Andrew Cutchin trade for Monday, uh, going to uh, the, the Giants in exchange for reliever Kyle Crick and uh, minor league outfielder Brian Reynolds. So no immediate impact players there for, uh, for the Pirates, but, uh, you know, Reynolds could figure in their uh, starting outfield maybe within a couple of years. Going uh, over to the giant side of the ledger, uh, McCutcheon is now slated to play right field. Hunter Pencil move over to left field, and they're still looking for a solution uh, in center. There was a report in the last day or so that uh, Dry Dyson is on the Giants' radar, but uh, they'll probably be, be plumbing the uh, free agent market there, and there are plenty of options. But I think the really the more interesting one from a fantasy perspective is who's going to replace McCutcheon in Pittsburgh. And I think that the the go-to guy for most fantasy owners, at least, you know, in terms of their wish list, is is Austin Meadows, who actually had a pretty rough 2017 season, uh, missed a good amount of time with ham, uh, hamstring injury. Uh, then later on in the year, oblique injuries uh, kept him out. And when he did play, didn't show really the same kind of home run power that he had in, in previous years, uh, really showing more of a sort of a line drive approach. But it's it's hard to put a lot of weight on those stats, given that Meadows was dealing with injury for the bulk of the year, if, if not the whole year. And he's had a, an injury history beyond uh, 2017. So uh, that would be still, even with all that said, probably what a lot of us would like to see. But from the uh, Pittsburgh Trib, the report is that he's not going to be an opening day option. 
that uh, we're more likely to see uh, Jordan Luplo or maybe Adam Frazier uh, or perhaps Brandon Nimmo. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's not on the Pirates roster yet. He's still a Met. But uh, there's some talk that uh, the Pirates are interested in Nimmo. I'm going to bring him back up later on. Uh, but the point being, there are several options that probably are ahead of Meadows in terms of uh, uh, the opening day replacement for uh, for Andrew McCutcheon in uh, left field. Because we got to assume that Starling Martel take care of center and uh, Gregory, or I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> other way around. Uh, we have uh, Starling Marte and, and uh, uh, no, sorry, Gregory Polanco in right field. So uh, anyhow. Moving on with the Pirates' uh, other moves, and I mentioned this one before, Felipe Rivero extended on a four-year, $22 million deal. That also includes team options for 2022 and 2023. And that's, uh, you know, a a pretty, uh, I'd say, inexpensive deal for somebody who's, you know, established himself as, as the team's closer. Last year, Rivero took over from Tony Watson about a third into the season. Watson really struggled early on. Rivero, uh, over, again, roughly four months, roughly two-thirds of a season, a little bit less, actually, came through with 21 saves. So you prorate that out. That's uh, that's a nice season just from a saves perspective. And he had a 1.67 ERA, which is really impressive when you consider that Rivero was not really nearly as effective in August and September last year. He slumped. He slumped. He had an ERA over four for those two months. So he entered August with a sub one ERA. And when you look at the peripherals for Rivero, there's nothing there that's terribly distressing. Still got strikeouts at a, a good, if not a great clip. He get He gets a lot of swings, which means he doesn't get a lot of called strikes. So he gets whiffs at a decent rate, but I'm bringing this up just to point out that he'll, unless that part of his profile changes, Rivero is probably not going to be the next Craig Kimbrell. He's going to be a good, but not great strikeout closer, but he's very, very good. Like Tony Watson in his uh, better years, very good. uh, Like Tony Watson in terms of preventing hard contact and also pitching in a, in a good home park. So you figure Rivero, even when he struggles, maybe even when he's not getting as many strikeouts, that uh, he's going to be good for saves, ERA, and whip. And again, he struggled a bit down the stretch for the Pirates. Uh, I'm not sure if that had if that was a fatigue thing, if that was a, a mechanical thing. It did appear that uh, there were some changes in his release point during that time. Uh, whatever it is, I'm not terribly concerned. The skill set is is pretty awesome for Rivero, and he had a big uh, a, a big velocity spike last season too, which was nice. So uh, he'll be the uh, he was with the Pirates selling off a lot of players. Rivero's uh, one player that uh, should be around there for a while. Uh, just to take a break from some of the uh, signings and, and trade news, very good news for Jimmy Nelson, according to MLB.com. He is way ahead of schedule in terms of his return from shoulder surgery, which he had back in September. Initially, he was not slated to throw even just soft toss until spring training. And he is scheduled to begin that on Friday of this week, 
two days from now. So that's fantastic news, almost a month ahead of schedule in that regard. Now, there's no specific timeline still for uh, for Nelson. So uh, while it's good news, it would be even better if we could enter our drafts knowing, oh, okay, he's going to miss X amount of time. We still don't know that. But the news is still good news for Jimmy Nelson. So we'll obviously keep tabs on that. And the Blue Jays, uh, they made a signing that, again, another uh, inexpensive signing, but uh, one that has some fantasy impact. And that is that uh, they're bringing Curtis Granderson on board for a year at $5 million. And this is not going to be, I think, a big deal at all in 12 or maybe even 14 team leagues. But uh, it does give Granderson at least to start the season the bulk of the starts in a platoon situation there. And on the 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 downside, uh, if you want to look at it this way, probably one of Teoscar Hernandez or Steve Pierce will see fewer at-bats. Uh, and, and the things that I've read speculate that's going to be Hernandez that's going to lose playing time, maybe even start the year at AAA. But he had a, a nice late season run with the Blue Jays, getting some playing time, showing some power, definitely going all out with the fly ball approach, but uh, you know, making it work. So, uh, yeah, we may have to wait a bit to see if Hernandez can continue that on a more extended basis. So with that Granderson signing in Toronto. Uh, let's get back to the Mets. I mentioned the Pirates uh, making some waves, talked about their moves. Let's uh, talk about those Mets moves. Uh, finalizing their deal, their one, uh, the other one-year deal with Adrian Gonzalez. And he's going to enter spring training, apparently, as the starting first baseman, or at least with the best chance of keeping that job. And so that's really disappointing news for Dominic Smith and, and for people who are interested in Smith. And I, for one was and, and continue to be interested in Dominic Smith because who knows how healthy Adrian Gonzalez is going to be this year, how well his health will hold up, even if he is fully healthy now and will be fully healthy in spring training and on opening day. Smith, you know, on the surface, did not have a very impressive rookie stint uh, late in the year with the Mets, only batted 198, struck out at a 27% rate, much, much higher than in the minors, but much more home run power. Nine home runs in 49 games and a very robust 37% hard contact rate. And he did it. You know, I talked with Jesse Winker on Monday's show about his surprising rookie power surge. Similar story here. Not a big change in Dominic Smith's uh, batted ball profile moving from the minors to the majors and yet a whole lot more power. That is intriguing to me. And his price is now just going to get lower so particularly once you're getting beyond a 12-team league, a deeper league, I think there's some some late-round flyer intrigue here with Dominic Smith. Granted, you could probably pick him up on waivers uh, at this point uh, without any changes before now in draft day. But anyhow, uh, I will continue on with those Mets moves uh, a little bit later on in the show. But uh, we do have to head to break. And when we come back on the other side of it, Alex Chamberlain from Rotographs is going to be here, and we are going to have some good conversation. So make sure you stay for that. I'll be right back. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. 
Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melker, your host. And as promised, joining me for this segment from Rotographs, uh, Alex Chamberlain. Alex, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Al. Yeah, good to have you on. Well, th- that was an interesting moment there because as often happens on the show, I invite people on. I'm familiar with their work. I'm fans of their work, but I've never actually spoken with them. So <laughs> that's yeah, the first time I hear your voice. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, well, uh, thank you for, for uh, uh, bringing your voice on on the air here. And uh, in, in addition to writing for Rotographs, uh, you have a piece in uh, the, the Lindy's magazine that just came out. Uh, so what, what can we find there? What can people uh, uh, find if they, they go and get the magazine? So I, I wrote a piece about uh, the game's, quote unquote, most volatile players. Um, so it highlights... Uh, 10 guys who have the potential to make or break your fantasy season based on, uh, you know, where you draft them and what you think of them, including Miguel Cabrera, Byron Buxton, uh, Robbie Ray, et cetera. A lot of the names that you'll, you'll probably end up seeing on similar lists throughout the preseason. Um, so that's in the magazine. And I, I had a, a few other guys who didn't make the, uh, the cut into the magazine in a post that Rotograph. So there's four more um, that kind of preview what the what's the the gist of the article is about uh, up at Rotograss as well. All right, well, excellent. So check both out. Get get uh, some bonus players for for free. Uh, uh, go over to Rotographs and check out uh, Alex's other work. And uh, before we do talk about uh, you know, some players that you've written on, and uh, as I, I teased earlier in the show, uh, I want to talk a bit about. Uh, sort of the the fantasy brain, <laughs> what uh, what uh, neuroscience can tell us about being a better fantasy owner. But uh, before we get to all that, we're talking to you from Hawaii, and so you were there uh, a few days back when there was the the missile alert, uh, and I'm aware of that because you you tweeted about it. You actually sounded on Twitter, anyhow, uh, incredibly calm about it. But uh, are you okay, first of all, and 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 how was that for you? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Um, and it was, uh, it was kind of surreal, um, because, uh, Hawaii doesn't have the infrastructure to, uh, deal with a missile strike. So there really isn't, uh, there really isn't much you can do. There's no shelters, there's no basements. Um, so if there's a missile on the way, I basically just have to play wait and see, which is probably why I sounded so calm. The other reason why is because Hawaii has an alarm um, that is actually right next to my house um, that the whole island can hear. Not maybe not the whole island, but there there are several alarms. And the the siren didn't go off, and um, that siren is supposed to go off when there's going to be an emergency. Um, now I've also learned that sometimes these systems aren't always coordinated, so that wasn't necessarily like it wasn't a sure thing that that siren would go off if there was an emergency. But you know, there's one there's conflicting signals, and then just the the disbelief that this could actually be happening. <laughs> so I, um, I just spent 
you know, most of my 15 minutes that I'm supposed to have before missile hits trying to figure out if it was actually true. And I wasted a lot of that time not finding anything out until uh, one of my buddies texted me and told me that it was a false alarm. So I learned, I learned pretty quickly. Um, but I know that I heard stories of folks uh, seeing tourists on the beach running for cover, um, just chaos uh, in downtown Honolulu. So I was one of the fortunate ones to have figured it out pretty quickly, but I was still fairly anxious for the rest of the day, even though I knew I was fine. So just a fairly tense experience. Um, but otherwise I'm alive, so I guess I'm okay. Yeah, no, that's good. And I, you know, I, that's why I asked if you're okay, because I mean, I know you're obviously you're here with us and you're fine. Uh, but yeah, I would imagine, you know, if you could shake that off after just one day, that's power to you because, uh, I, I, uh, I'm sure it would take me longer <laughs> than that. Uh, but, uh, it just, uh, amazing, uh, that, uh, you know, so many people had to had to endure that. Uh, but let's let's get yeah. on to uh, so some happier topics here. You've been tweeting a lot about Ben Zobrist lately, uh, <laughs> and you've been been a little, uh, uh, you know, sort of, I guess coy about it in a way, uh, saying you know, well, you may or may not be on the the Ben Zobrist rebound train. So uh, what, what's going on with the, you and Ben Zobrist? I I don't want to make it seem like I've been tweeting about him all the time, but um, yeah, I. I was just, um, I don't even know what prompted it. I think I was, uh, oh, oh, I had to write his caption for fan graphs. So I'm trying to, you know, I do a little bit of research before I write a particular player's fan or uh, fan graphs caption. I hadn't really done any research on Zobrist and, um, I also didn't own him on any team. So I just really didn't pay attention to his season. And what I learned by looking at the stats first is that he had a, a horrible summer in which, his ground ball rate spike. Um, and that was one of the, the big things that kind of tanked his, his whole season was a, a, a lower uh, batting average on balls in play and just kind of a rising ground ball rate. But um, upon further research, uh, I learned that he had some wrist issues that happened to perfectly coincide with his uh, kind of dismal summer. So um I'm willing to chalk up his bad summer to kind of this ongoing bothersome risk that seems to have resolved itself by August and September because of the, the last you know couple of months of the season, he was back to being his normal self. So it's not that I'm totally in love with Ben Zobris, but he's going like well outside the top 400 picks by um, ADP. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's virtually no cost to try to get a guy who once was a perennial top 150 player. Um, so I'm I'm looking at him to be like one of my one dollar guys in in several leagues at this point. Well, you know, I think you sort of said, well, it's not a, a big deal, or whatever. you're not completely in love with him. But I I think that's to me that's kind of the key thing is picking those guys for that one dollar list for the the end game. Uh, I think that's a real key to success in, in you know, doing that research and finding the right players to put there. And uh, I think that's kind of a big deal. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I have, uh, I wasn't aware of the particular ADP data on him, but in the few early mocks that I've done, it just seems like he just sits and sits and sits there. So uh, I imagine he, you know, he's going to be available there and, 
anything that's that's not a pretty deep league for you to to snag, like you said, for a dollar or or with a last round pick or or reserve round pick. So I, I don't think that's it's not nothing, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, and I and I, I he's not particularly sexy either, which is why he'll just probably sit there for even longer. He's not one of your, you know, shiny new toys, as I like to say, but people hate when people say it. But uh, yeah, he's he's old. He's old and not shiny by any means, but he'll, he could get the job done still. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, uh, we'll, uh, we'll I guess keep the hype somewhat muted so that you can, you can yeah. enjoy that. Uh, but, you know, you said something there, um, and I, I know we're, we're going to talk about Willie Calhoun, but you said something that kind of uh, – click something on for me, which was that you said, you know, you learned, you learned these things about Zobrist from researching uh, the, the player cap that you've written for him. And mm-hmm. I've talked a, a bit on this show over the past few weeks about, uh, well, I kind of did a whole thing around new year's with fantasy new year's resolutions. And uh, one of the things I talked a bit about was not relying so much on my projections for, for rankings and, uh, uh, you know, just general draft preparation, but it's a hard habit to kick because so much of my discovery process is through doing projections. But the the same thing is true about writing player caps, and I'm doing them for for rotographs too for the first time. And it's it's just so cool when you find things. So you know, maybe the uh, the thing is, you know, not everybody <laughs> has player caps to write, and I don't know if you want to, you know, if I would recommend people going through a contrived process of doing that, but. Uh, what what is your uh, sort of your general strategy for you know finding those one dollar players or finding those great values, uh, unearthing those twenty seventeen trends or you know previous season trends, whatever year it is, um, you know is it through researching player caps or researching researching projections or or some other type of process? If I had unlimited time, I would try to do even just for myself some kind of player caption process because it kind of like it forces me to articulate an idea about a player. Um, but writing captions is kind of a tedious process. So there's no real way to ever do that for 200 or even, you know, barely even 50 players. Like it just, it just takes way too much time, but I do end up learning a lot about players. I end up changing my mind about a lot of players. So doing just deep dives on certain players, or a, a lot of times I'll look at my, um, my projections or other projections and just kind of, look for guys who surprise me. Um, and I definitely try to keep in mind the guys who have had outlier seasons, not in the sense that they are unrepeatable, but the sense that, you know, they either had a career year or like Zobris, they had a career worst year. So those are definitely the guys that I'm digging into the most to see if I can kind of glean any information that indicates whether it's legitimate or not. And then, you know, uh, all the guys who are kind of floating in the middle who have some kind of consistency or, you know, maybe just have a less interesting story. Those are the guys I get around to later, but I, I do spend a lot of time trying to figure out what 2017 stories mean for 2018 for these particular players. Well, that's, that's a, that's a, I think a really good, uh, efficient sounding sort of weeding out process to look for, for the outliers. I like that a lot. I'm, trying to do something a little similar this year by pulling some leaderboards uh, and, and looking at the extremes on those, uh, which I guess, you know, really it could be the same thing that you're doing. So, uh, you know, I think that that's, that's really helpful. Uh, well, we'll uh, Alex, we're going to have to head to break very shortly here. So I'm going to table uh, the Willie Calhoun 
discussion for the other side uh, of the break. But, uh, you know, we had a little bit of back and forth about him. Uh, I, I saw him crop up on your timeline elsewhere. So I kind of figured you, you might want to talk a little bit about Willie Calhoun. And then uh, also when we get back, uh, I know you've got uh, some perspective on, uh, you know, some neuroscience findings and how that can help us out. So we're going to break right now. But when we come back, we will tackle all of that. So stick around. If you're playing daily fantasy basketball on DraftKings or FanDuel this NBA season, you need to sign up for Daily Roto. Built by a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. Better yet, you can save 10% off using the promo code FNTSY. So go to dailyroto.com backslash premium to learn more about their product. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball, and I'm your host, Al Melkier. And joining me for a second segment from Rotographs, Alex Chamberlain. So, Alex, thank you for taking the time, doing uh, double duty for us uh, on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, so let's get right to a little Willie Calhoun discussion. Uh, so, yeah, you and I had a little uh, discussion between ourselves on Twitter about Calhoun because... I had I, I don't even remember what it was. Uh, actually, I think it was uh, some projections research and went on his page and, and went down to the batted ball profile and saw in the minors that he had infield fly rates. Grant, this is as a proportion of total flies, not overall, but in the 30s, which I didn't recall seeing before. <laughs> and then you, uh, you know did some quote tweets to kind of put that in perspective. Then you wrote a whole piece for Rotographs on it, which was really great and informative. Um, but I suspect that your interest in Willie Calhoun isn't just about his pop-up rate, because uh, I also saw you retweet something from my uh, friend and former colleague at CBS, Chris Towers, who had some good things to say about Willie Calhoun. So uh, what, if anything, does that say? Uh, yeah, uh, let me see. <laughs> let, me, let me put my thoughts together here. Uh, we, Willie Calhoun has a bit of a pop-up problem, um, but not too bad of a pop-up problem. My my wholesale take on Willie Calhoun is that I think he compares favorably to uh, Reese Hoskins, which is not a bad comp to have. I was trying to do some Reese Hoskins uh, research maybe a month or two ago, um, just trying to find guys who were even remotely comparable to him because he had such a unique uh, debut and actually a pretty unique AAA season. Uh, and really the only player who was remotely close. And actually when I say remotely, he was very close in terms of plate discipline and power was Willie Calhoun. Um, now Reese Hoskins doesn't have quite the pop-up problem. I think his batted, prof- batted ball profile is a little more stable than Willie Calhoun's, but I think Willie Calhoun has uh, the, the, the potential to break out very quickly. Um, and he's going pretty late in drafts and he just, he doesn't have the same prospect type as guys like Andrew Benatendi did. Um, and that's, that's enough to kind of suppress his, his draft stock. Um, and there's a, there, I think there's a real possibility that he is uh, the American League Rookie of the Year. 
Now, I could absolutely see that. I mean, just a ton of power, doesn't strike out much. I mean, the question is just how many outs is he going to make on, on balls and play? Is he going to keep those uh, infield flies at a reasonable level? And again, in your piece that you wrote, uh, and, and it's uh, been probably a week or more since I read it, so you may need to correct me on this, but I think the, the basic rule of thumb was basically take the uh, minor league number and and put it cut it in half was that or yeah yeah that's yeah. not right yeah it's, so, it's and i don't know why they're inflated but it's just uh yeah they're about twice as high as they need to be so his 30 percent rate in the minors is probably about 15 percent in the majors and that's you know that's a few ticks above average but not so much that it's gonna kill his production completely yeah um so yeah if it translates that way i mean i just wonder too if uh, well, again, your your study sort of bore that out. I was going to say maybe there would be some regression just in, in terms of making the adjustment, but that's that's really baked into your study. So maybe it's not going to be such a problem. Uh, and it's not like he's wildly fly ball heavy. I mean, he certainly leans in that direction, but it's not uh, – I, I don't think he's uh, quite in like Ryan Schimpf territory if, if, mem- if my memory's – uh, correct. Oh no, not at all. Not at all. I yeah. think it just comes with the territory of being a power hitter. He's just gonna he's gonna pop up a little bit extra, and he's not gonna run a 300 bat. But it'll probably be like 280, you know, and it'll prevent him from being a true 300 hitter with his with his lack of strikeouts. But it's just you know that high of a batting average would be gravy on what will probably be something like the possibility for 30 home runs and a 280 batting average. Um, so he looks good, and I'm pretty excited. Yeah, well, I'm looking at the steamer projection right now, and they absolutely agree with you. <laughs> 278 with 27 homers, 85 RBI. So there you go. Uh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's being very undervalued in, in the early mocks for sure. So uh, I, I absolutely agree with you that there, there's another name to put on your your one or two dollar list uh, for sure. But uh, I want to just address one other thing that. Uh, uh, I saw you're, you're pretty active on Twitter, so I keep referring back to your tweets. Uh, but uh, you quote tweeted a, a passage from a book by Daniel Kahneman called Thinking Fast and Slow. And you were just making the point that, you know, while, of course, the book is not about uh, fantasy sports in any way, that there are, you know, parallels and lessons. So uh, if you could uh, just be interested in having you, he, he makes this distinction between system one and system two. And if, if you could just explain uh, what that's all about and, and then how that relates to what we might be able to learn to become better fantasy baseball owners. Yeah, yeah, I'll try to try my best to make it succinct. Um, Daniel Kahneman is a behavioral economist and uh, behavioral economics essentially is the field of uh, running and creating economic experiments to measure people's behavior. Um, usually to test the underlying theory that humans are rational beings. Um, And the field of behavioral economics pretty roundly agrees that humans are not rational. And that's a huge component of fantasy baseball, in my opinion. Um, And I, uh, you know, this whole, the the book, Thinking Fast and Slow, um, it discusses the brain as having having these two systems. The first system is kind of like the, the first line of defense, and I, in a sense, in, in which that it it operates automatically, um, you can't turn it off. It's basically designed to already be built with these biases and these intuitions to basically help you navigate the world as it is. 
And then you have a second system, which is kind of your more, your more rational, your, your more critical, your more thinking part of your brain that challenges these biases and intuitions, especially if they fail you. Um, and this is, again, this is a gross oversimplification, but, um, you know, people, a lot, a lot of what they're talking about in here is, um, you know, people with lazy system twos, people who are lazy about critically assessing their own biases or their own intuitions often make cognitive errors in assessing situations, whether it be situations of probability um, or really anything else. Um, there's so many descriptions in this book that are just talking about the way that people normally behave that can apply to fantasy baseball. That is just incredibly fascinating to me. Um, the, the snippet that I had quote tweeted on Twitter um, had the following five quotes in it talking about system one, which is again, the, the biased and intuitive part of the brain. It infers and invents causes and intentions. It's biased to believe and confirm. It overweights low probabilities and responds more strongly to losses than to gain. And I can think of so many ways in which all of these quotes apply to fantasy baseball in one way or another. And the fundamental point of all this is that to be a really good fantasy baseball player, in my opinion, you need to be challenging your own biases and intuitions at all times because these are the things that are going to lead you astray in your evaluation process. And if you think you know everything, it's almost certain that you do not. Yeah, and and that, uh, I think, undergirds a point. I had Ron Chandler on the show a couple episodes ago and you know, basically talking about how he's reached a similar conclusion and, and – you know, doesn't get fixated on his own projections and, and what he thinks he knows. Um, but uh, I, I want to apply what you just said, particularly the, the last one uh, about aversion to loss. Yep, uh, I, wrote, I wrote a piece. Yeah. I wrote a piece uh, a few years back when I was with CBS uh, about what I, I called FOMO and tofu. Now, most people know what FOMO is fear of missing out. And that's one kind of loss aversion, right? Uh, you don't want to miss out on, you know, the, the latest phenom that, that every, you know, in a, in a fab bidding situation where everybody's going crazy, you know, throwing money at some, you know, call up or, uh, you know, somebody who's, who's breaking out. Uh, but I, yeah, I said, there's, there's another kind of loss aversion that I called tofu, which, uh, I, uh, stood for a terror of forfeiting upside. And actually initially it stood for something else, but I can't say it on the show. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, but that's sort of like sticking by your guns and being afraid of missing out on what you, you know, with the players that you, that you drafted, that you had hopes for, you know, the guys that you and I are writing, you know, capsules about that we're really intrigued by just as an example. So how, you know, how do you combat, you've got not just one, but you know, multiple types of losses you're trying to avert. So what's, what's the alternative to those things? It's, I don't know if there's an alternative other than you just need to, you need to practice fighting that, that fear. Um, and, um, or I guess maybe it's the inverse. Maybe you need to practice, um, yeah, yeah, no, you need to practice fighting that fear because that fear is what's going to compel you to overdraft a player who may not be worth it. Namely, you know, Byron Buxton, who is going to be a hot topic all preseason long. Um, probably Luis Castillo, who's going to be a hot topic all preseason long. Um, you just, 
it's it's this fear of missing out. It's this compulsion to. I don't know if it's a real like if it's a hero complex that you know picking the guy who is the trendy sleeper or the trendy prospect and having him hit it big is going to make you look awesome. I don't know if it's something about the glory of that or if it's something else. Um, but the fear of missing out definitely overshadows a lot of talented guys who are boring, but consistent and can produce just as well at the same spot. There's so many different moments where these kinds of market inefficiencies take place throughout a draft um, that you constantly need to be challenging yourself to, to be thinking, am I making an irrational decision? Um, and I think irrational decisions are what make or break fantasy teams straight up. All right. So it just takes a little, little or maybe a lot more awareness then. So, well, on that note, Alex, we got to head to break again. So uh, thanks for uh, all the uh, great information and analysis and uh, hopefully uh, talk to you again sometime soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Alex. All right. Thank you, Alex. All right. We're going to head back to break. Come back. Some more news items. Stay with us. Playing daily fantasy basketball this year? Consider Daily Roto your go-to resource. Whether you play on DraftKings or FanDuel, Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. With a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, there's no better place to get your NBA DFS content. Better yet, you can save 10% using the promo code FNTSY. So go to dailyroto.com premium and learn more about our awesome products. Because uh, I certainly had more things I wanted to ask him about with the... Uh, uh, analysis of thinking fast and slow, uh, but uh, certainly a, a good way to get started uh, on that topic. But uh, with the time we got left here, there are a few news items I did not get to earlier in the show. And one of them should certainly be a big interest to a lot of owners. Michael Conforto, a lot of questions about how early to take the plunge on him. Uh, in a recent slow mock uh, that I'm doing, I, I took him as my third outfielder. Uh, I believe it was the eighth round of a, uh, in a 15-team draft. So it was a pick of, of some value, but I felt enough value to take the risk. Uh, of course, Conforto uh, coming back from shoulder surgery. And uh, the news on him is that he will not return until at least May 1st. That's his target date, May 1st. That according to the uh, New York Post. So, uh, you know, if he does make it back after just uh, a month into the season and he's fully recovered and, and close to what he showed in 2017, you know, uh, an eighth round pick in a 15 team league would be tremendous value, but still a lot of questions. That's a target date. Uh, there's certainly a lot of time between now and May 1st. A lot could happen, uh, positive or negative. And uh, that was you know, fairly major surgery that Conforto had. So uh, any concern that you have in any drafts coming up would, uh, would be well warranted. But in relation to that, the question is then who will play center field 
in the meantime, uh, for however long Conforto's out. And report, uh, this actually came out just right before the show, uh, is that uh, it's likely to be Juan Ligaris. And I mean, that's not a huge surprise at all. Uh, but it does relate to Brandon Nemo, Nimmo, excuse me, Brandon Nimmo, got to pronounce it right, not like the, uh, the Disney character, um, that part of the reason that he may not be at the top of the depth chart there is that he may be going to Pittsburgh. Uh, the Mets have said that, uh, and, and uh, this according to uh, Ken Rosenthal, the, the Mets didn't want to give up Brandon uh, Nimmo in a deal for Andrew McCutcheon, but according to uh, multiple sources, that Nimmo may go there for Josh Harrison. So I'm not sure I understand why in one and not the other, but uh, that would uh, be very interesting for two death charts taking him out of the Mets death chart and maybe answering the question of uh, who's going to replace Andrew McCutcheon in the Pirates outfield. And uh, Nimmo was another one that had a late season power surge after not putting up very big minor league power numbers. So uh, that to me is an interesting development. And uh, one last thing, uh, the Cubs have re-signed Brian Dunsing. That's a two-year deal for $7 million. So he'll return their bullpen and uh that's about it because we're just about out of time here so uh i'm really really grateful that you joined me again for this show and again thanks to alex chamberlain also for joining me and uh be back on friday same time same station airing live 10 p.m eastern 7 pacific and uh be here with uh, fancy sports radio's own matt modica So looking forward to that conversation. Anyhow, have a great day, everybody. Stay tuned for Fantasy Best Friends Forever.